who are over you in the Lord and who admonish you. Hold them in the highest regard in love because of their work. Live in peace with each other. And we urge you, brothers, warn those who are idle, encourage the timid, help the weak, be patient with everyone. Make sure that nobody pays back wrong for wrong, but always try to be kind to each other and to everyone else. Be joyful always, pray continually, give thanks in all circumstances, for this is God's will for you in Christ Jesus. Do not put out the Spirit's fire. Do not treat prophecies with contempt. Test everything. Hold on to the good. Avoid every kind of evil. May God himself, the God of peace, sanctify you through and through. May your whole spirit, soul, and body be kept blameless at the coming of our Lord Jesus Christ. The one who calls you is faithful, and he will do it. Brothers, pray for us. Greet all the brothers with a holy kiss. I charge you before the Lord to have this letter read to all the brothers. The grace of our Lord Jesus Christ be with you. So we're at uh, beginning to the end of 1 Thessalonians chapter 5. And uh, the good news is, guys, it's only part one this week. We're going to do part two next week. You might be thinking, whew, there's a lot in that. How was Paul going to do that in uh, 25 minutes? Well, he wasn't. So uh, we're going to split it up. We're going to do half this week and half next week. And as I said, it's been this th thing all the way through, hasn't it, about how do we love God more and love each other more. And we're going to be thinking about how do we love the family of God, how do we love each other well this morning, because this is what the passage is about. Uh, to kick us off, just to get us in the idea of what love is, I thought we'd just play a clip that might help us get on the way. Maybe. Hey, Skid Guys here. Let's talk about love. 1 Corinthians chapter 13. That is the love of endures in kindness and sincerity. What are you doing? It does not boast, it does not brag, it does not envy. That's right. Love is all around, so embrace it, capture it, never let it go. Okay, easy, creepy McCreeperson, all right? You're sounding a little stalkerish. Stalkerish? Yeah. Embrace it, grab it, never let it go? It's like love needs a restraining order. I was sharing God's love, just like you were. <laughs> No, I'm jamming on a sweet song about love. Oh, I love jam. No, do not make fun of breakfast foods. That's the most important meal of the day, you communist. Do you mind? Not at all. Love doesn't boast, it is not jealous, it does not get angry. It's so fine, you go to find, it's all around for you and me. I can't sing with you? I thought you were just singing about love's not rude. Well, it's also not tone deaf. <laughs> Love's not proud, it's patient. It does not boast, it's patient. <laughs> what? Well, you, you just put patient in your song twice. And? 
Well, 1 Corinthians chapter 13, there's a lot of adjectives to describe love. It just seems like you'd have more than just using the word patient twice. Real love, look at me, real love has a double dose of patience. But you wouldn't know that. You're over here jimmy-legging for me to finish the song. I just think the people want to hear a biblically-based talk on God's love more than they want a hokey, cheesy song. You just killed my soul. Fine. I'll go elsewhere where my music is appreciated. Have fun by yourself. What? Nothing. We sing about God's love. We talk about it. But do we really live it out? Shouldn't God's love be the greatest motivation in everything that we do? Hey. Hey, buddy. Hey. What's going on? I couldn't find anyone to appreciate my music. I mean, faith and hope, they liked it, but they didn't love it. <laughs> well, I'm glad you're back. I don't think I demonstrated God's love to you. You didn't. Very well. I'm, Not I'm, at all. <laughs> okay. I think it'd be great if you would share your love song about God. No, you don't. I do. No, you don't. I think it'd be great if you did. No, you don't. I think it would be very nice. Just because you begged. <laughs> love protects. Love trusts. Love hopes. Love perseveres. Love never fails. <clears throat> um. This is a real proud moment for you. Um, wasn't that the uh, tune to Love Hurts? Love does hurt. And love stinks. But you know what? What's love got to do with it when it's just a... When it's a second-hand emotion. Get out of my head! We're done here. <laughs> to the bridge! You can always trust the skit guys to give you something to think about with a bit of humour at the same time. Uh, but it's a challenge, isn't it? What is love? Uh, how does it work? How does it come together? 1 Corinthians 13 is a great definition of love, isn't it? Uh, you often hear it at weddings, uh, and uh, I've even used it at funerals every now and again as well, because it does picture what love is, but love needs to be put into action, doesn't it? Love actually needs to be have some wheels on it, some ground on it, some actually earthing to it, and when we come to look at 1 Thessalonians chapter 5, Paul starts to do that. Uh, so Paul, all the way up to this point, has been spending some time talking about three main things. Can anyone think what they were? If you saw the verse before, you might have seen it. You can pick it out of there. Three words. They were the ones that were in the song. Two loved it and one didn't. Um, yeah, faith, hope and love, isn't it? If you read 1 through 1 Thessalonians, it continually comes up. Paul continually works through these three things. And this is in verse 3, right back at the beginning, he says, We continue to remember before our God and Father, your work produced for faith, your labour prompted by love, and your endurance inspired, the hope, inspired by the hope in our Lord Jesus Christ. Faith, hope and love, those three things are what Paul continues on throughout the whole of 1 Thessalonians. He talks about what faith is, that faith is putting your trust and belief in Jesus Christ, it's actually putting your life into his hands. And then when you put your life into his hands, then you're to live that out in love. And Paul goes through 1 Corinthians, I encourage you to love one another more and more. 
and more and more. And then he says that a number of times, doesn't he? And then when he gets to chapter 4, he talks about what our hope is, our hope in eternity, because when we're in Jesus, we are safe with him now and forever. That when Jesus returns, whenever that is, you're going to be safe in him. What happens in between now and when Jesus returns, you're safe in him. And because of that, you have an eternal hope, a hope that drives you to live now and a hope in eternity. And Paul brings that all together, doesn't he? And he says the most important part in all of that is that we're in Jesus first, that we put our trust in him. Faith, hope and love flow out of that, don't they? And so he gets to chapter 5 and the end of chapter 5 and he goes bang and then he puts a whole lot of stuff on the ground, doesn't he? He must have got to the end of his letter and he thought, you know when you get to the end of the email and you think, man, I've got to get a whole lot out of here because I'm running out of space and time. Let's just put the whole lot down. Let's throw it all in there. And that's what he does in 1 Thessalonians chapter 5, verse 12 to 28. He just pours out all his information and whacks it all down there for us and you could spend weeks, I reckon, just sitting there and going through each verse and praying, asking God to reveal to you, what does that say for me here and now? And in all of it, you'll see that he's actually talking about your faith, your hope and your love. Or actually, he means, in this one, he means faith, love and hope uh, through this passage. You want to see how does that live out on the ground? How do you and I, as followers of Jesus... Uh, how to live that out. And one of the first things he shows about that is actually that we're part of God's family, that we are to be a loving family of God. If you read through these verses, you'll notice that there's four times Paul says brothers and sisters, brothers and sisters, brothers and sisters, brothers and sisters. I think he's trying to get across a message, isn't he? He's saying that when we're in Jesus, then we are part of God's family. Look, he says that in verse, very start, verse 12. Now we ask you, brothers and sisters, acknowledge, he goes on. But first of all, he wants to say that if you are in Jesus, then you are in his family. And if you're in his family, then you're in his family with everyone else. But if you believe and trust in Jesus and you look around this place here today and you see people around you, they are your brothers and sisters in Christ. Anyway, we're saying, man, I'm not sure I want to be a brother with that bloke. But you are. And because of that, we are to treat one another like that, like brothers and sisters. The Bible uses brother and sister a lot, doesn't it? Because it's that family, filial love that he wants us to express to one another. He wants us to show that to each other because we are brothers and sisters in Christ. Now, I don't know about your family, but I know my family at different stages works really well and other times it's just dysfunctional. Uh, both the family that I've raised and both the family I come from. And so sometimes when we think about brothers and sisters in Christ, we think, oh, I don't want them to be like my brother and sister that I have here on earth. Well, some of you might be saying, yes, I do want them to be like my brother and sister here. But what God's saying to us here in this passage is that that is the way we are to try and think one in the best of light, in the way that we actually love one another in a family way, that we're actually connected to one another. And we're not only going to be connected here on earth, we're going to be connected for eternity. So love one another like brothers and sisters, says Paul. 
And he says that's in the church family. And so in this church family, in this last part, as he's talking to this small group of people in Thessalonica, who are a group of people following Jesus, he says, you're a family of God there, guys. That's who you are. Love one another like brothers and sisters. And in that family, there's some good things I'm going to lay out for you now that will help you do that and help you do that well. But can I stress, when Paul gets to this stuff, this isn't just a list of do's and don'ts. It's a list that comes out of us loving Jesus first, knowing that we're connected in Jesus first, and then it flows out of it, not the other way around. Please remember that. This all flows out of the fact that we know Jesus and we're connected to Jesus and to each other through him. And so first and foremost, he says there, what does he say? He says, And now I ask you, brothers and sisters, in verse 12, to acknowledge those who work hard among you, who care for you in the Lord, and who admonish you. Hold them in highest regard in love. Because of their work, live in peace with each other. What Paul's saying is that we need to love our leaders. Love those that have been placed in leadership with you and around you and over you. Now that's pretty hard because I'm one of those people. So here I am speaking to you about how you should treat me. It's about time I can go for it now, can't I? Okay. But I'm only one of them in our system, the way that we work, we have elders and those elders are the ones that have oversight over you. They are the ones who are, should be like this, the ones who are working hard among you, who care for you, who admonish you. Those that uh, have spiritual oversight over you is what that's saying. Who spiritually care for you. Who look out for you. Who pray for you. Who give time for you. Who seek to be on their knees for you. Who seek to do things so that you grow up to be more like Jesus. That's what an elder is. That's what a leader is. Uh, they're not power-hungry people. Well, they shouldn't be, should they? They're not people who are after prestige. This isn't a position. This is actually... A character thing. This is actually a role, really, rather than a position. This is something that they've signed on to do because they love Jesus and they love the people that Jesus has placed around them. So their role is to what? Is there, he says, this is only a very short list. There's lots of other things we could look at. But they're to work hard among you. They're actually to love you, aren't they? Their role is to love you. That's what they're out there to do, to work hard among you, to uh, encourage you, to care for you and to admonish you, to grow you up to be more like Jesus. That's what their role is. And can I say, I think they do it pretty well. Uh, I'm a bit biased because I'm part of them. Uh, but that's what we are to be with them, aren't we? And in a sense, the bit there, the picture that he places here is like a brother, an older brother, protecting a younger sibling. That's the picture that Paul's putting here. Who knows what this is from? Narnia, isn't it? Who can tell us who the individuals are? Lucy's the little one, the, the little girl. Peter and Edmund. And Edmund's the big brother, isn't he? Peter's the big brother, isn't he? Is Edmund this one? Oh, I got it wrong. There you go. So Peter's the big brother. Change my illustration or change the names, but Peter's the big brother and what does he do all the time? He protects his family, doesn't he? He sweeps them out. He, he tries to do the right thing by them. He doesn't always do it properly, but his role as the big brother is to protect, to care, and sometimes he has to admonish. Sometimes he has to pull them into line, doesn't he? 
Uh, he's given that role. And that's the picture that God's given of his leaders in the church, of his elders in the church, uh, to be like big brothers. Uh, they don't, in a sense, have a whole lot more power than anyone. They're not there for, to be power hungry. They're there to serve and protect and care and admonish and encourage you to become more like Jesus. So we are to love our loving leaders is the first part of what Paul says of a church family that works together. So how can you love your leaders? How can you love us? Well, the first thing you do is pray for us. I don't know how often you do that, but can I encourage you to pray for us? As the guys who are spiritually overseeing and wanting to care for you, they are the people that Satan's going to have a go at the hardest. Because if he rips out them, that makes it very hard for us to operate. Because if he can attack them and get at them, then if there's dysfunction there, then there's not peace, is there? And what does Paul say at the end of this little passage? He says, live at peace with them. Pray for us, please. Pray for us. Continually pray for us. I can't stress that anymore. Pray for us. Even pick out a day a week and just say, I'm going to pray for the elders over us here at our little Evans Head Pretty Church. So they seek to love us. Maybe thank them every now and then. Maybe encourage them every now and then. I, look, don't get me wrong, I, people encourage me. I get the odd little text or the odd little email and sometimes people come up to me and say, and I reckon we're pretty good at doing that, guys. I want to thank you for that. It's really special that you do that. Uh, but do that for the others too. I don't ask them whether they get that. Uh, you know who they are, Ben, Dave, Ronnie, and Les is part of that team as well. Uh, encourage them. Go up and just say, hey guys, I really love the fact that you love us and you're spiritually looking out for us. Tell them. Uh, Paul says in another passage, he says, don't make their work a burden. I'll let you think about how you don't make their burden for us. <laughs> uh, that doesn't mean you don't bring stuff to us that you need prayer for and help with and encouragement with. Uh, that, that's not what the burden is. We want to be there praying for you, encouraging you. Want to, but the, the burden is when everything just seems to be want to be ripped apart and people want to destroy things or want to get upset about something or they complain about all this other stuff and just niggling sort of stuff. That's the stuff that becomes a burden, doesn't it? So Paul says to us, in a loving family, the very first thing he says that we need to be doing is loving our loving leaders. He doesn't let the leaders off the hook, does he? He says they need to be loving and caring. So don't think that us leaders have got off the hook. Actually, we're held deeply and extremely accountable for how we love you guys well. We have to face God for that down the track. To love our leaders well and, and pray, encourage our loving leaders to keep being loving leaders is what he's saying, first of all. And then he says to love all people, doesn't he? That's where he goes on next. And he says, well, this needs to continue on, not just for our leaders, but continue into everyone around us. Look at what he says. And we urge you, brothers and sisters, there he is again, warn those who are idle and disruptive, encourage the disheartened, help the weak, be patient with everyone, make sure that nobody pays back wrong for wrong, but always strive to do what is good for each other or be kind to each other and everyone else. So that word for good there could be kind as well, uh, for each other and everyone else. 
Uh, he extends it, doesn't he? He takes it from the leadership and then he spreads it into everyone, into the family, and he extends it into everyone else, like all around us, that we are to seek to love everyone. Uh, there's a great little picture at the front in the first three verses. A guy by the name of John Piper says, uh, gives a great illustration of what those first three, where he talks about warn, uh, uh, warn those who are idle and disruptive, encourage this heart and help the weak. He says it's a bit like three different arm actions. He says that what we should be doing is going stop to those that are being idle, that is people who are just sitting on their hands, both spiritually and community and work-wise. So we need to encourage people to be out there doing things. For those that are uh, disheartened, we need to encourage. We put the hand around the shoulder. We stand beside them. We're there when they're down. For those that are weak and are struggling, the arms are underneath, lifting and holding. They're quite a good picture, aren't they? Stop, encourage, help, lift. And that's a, that's a good picture for us to be thinking of those that are around us, isn't it? Uh, not that I know particularly too many people that are idle, but uh, what Paul is saying, uh, people need to contribute that there's not a sense that people just should be on the side. Now, there may be physical, mental uh, things that may be inhibiting that for anyone, but they shouldn't still be idle. They should still be contributing somewhere. The worst thing, I think, for anyone who feels down and out and is physically unable to do things or mentally unable to things is actually to feel helpless, that they're unable to help. They'd love to help, wouldn't they? But we can find ways for them to do that. It may not be that they do 24-hour day shifts, but it might be this, that they're able to be on their knees praying. It may be that they're able to write a letter. That maybe they're able to encourage someone some way that way. Maybe they could cook something. Whatever it is, whatever we can possibly encourage them to do, we want people to be involved. Because involvement helps, doesn't it? And encourage and to help is a great thing to be thinking through, how we can do that with everyone around us. I don't know whether anyone else has got one of these emails coming into their email box, but I've been getting emails from Nourished Life in the last uh, few months. I've got a suspicion there's someone in my family who bought something from there and then signed up and put my email. Because it's not me. But in this Nourished Life, uh, you go onto this website and they've got all these different things. It's all about having toxin-free stuff so that you can be, have a nourished life, a healthy life. Uh, to be nourished in that. Uh, well, in one sense, that's what we are to be to each other. We are to live nourishing lives to those around us. That our lives are to be nourishing those around us to become more like Jesus. To not be idle, to be encouraged, to not be downtrodden. That we are to live nourishing lives. It's a good picture, isn't it? thinking about how do you live with those around you? Are you being nourishing to people around you or are you sucking stuff out of people around you? It's different, isn't it? It's a different picture. That we actually nourish those that are around us and who those people around us. And one of the ways that we can be nourishing people around us is to be thinking about... Keep going. Cultivating patience and pursuing kindness. Because that's what the next two verses say, don't they? They say that we need to be cultivating patience and pursuing kindness, or goodness is the other word that some NIV will have there in front of you. I don't know about you, but they're lovely words to say, but 
they're tough words to live out, aren't they? Patience and kindness. There's plenty of times in my life when I'm sitting there and I lose my patience. And it can happen sometimes at the most inopportune times and more often than not, it happens to the ones that I love the most. Does that happen to you? It's people that you love, they're your family, yeah, they're either your, your husband or your wife or your boyfriend or your girlfriend or your kids and something just comes in and they come into the office and, they, and you just go off the tree at them. And it may not even be the fact that they just put the Vegemite on the wrong piece of toast for you. I mean, it could be something as small as that. And then bang, you fire off. Your patience is shot. Uh, but then when you're down the street and you're at work, people can annoy you all day. But when you get home, patience goes, doesn't it? Well, can I encourage you to stop giving excuses for that? I've got to stop giving myself excuses for that. To think for a moment how patient God is with you. How patient has Jesus been with you? You see, flowing out of the gospel of God living and loving for us is that we are to live loving, patient lives with those that are around us. We're not to be known to be hot-headed, bad-tempered, aggro people. I've got to watch that on the sporting field. I think I did my dues on that a number of years ago. It's really hard to redeem it. Have you ever found that too? I think this year was my quietest year on touch football, but every time I speak to someone about touch football, ha ah, Paul, I know you, you're the bloke who has to go out the ref all the time. I don't even get it once this year, please forgive me. I might have done it a lot in years gone by. It's hard, isn't it, to pull back? It's like the toothpaste, isn't it? Once it's out there, you know, the good news is that Jesus does forgive you and he wants to transform you. And so even though my sporting days may not have been particularly good with my mouth in the past, he can transform me. And he may not change people's perceptions out there of that, but he can transform me and he can transform you too. And he can transform your patience with your loved ones. And he says, doesn't he, Paul, so he's on to say about being kind, doing good, being kind to everyone. Being kind to all those that are around you. Doing good to all those around you. And again, I think for us, and I know for me, one of the things I've got to work on the most is what I spoke about in the toothpaste thing. The toothpaste thing wasn't just for the kids, guys. That was for you and for me because I know where I am most unkind a lot of the time is out of here. It's when I speak. And most of the time it's when I speak to my wife that those unkind words come out. And they may be little flippant little things here and there or little niggles here or a little bit of a sarcasm over there. Uh, my, don't give Karina sarcasm, it doesn't work. I've taken 20, how many years? 30 years to still not work that out. But it, it's, it's, it happens, doesn't it? It comes out. When we're not patient and then our words flow out and we're not kind with how we speak to those around us, it just destroys, it rips apart, doesn't it? You don't live at peace. 
says to us to be cultivate patience, work hard at it, pursue kindness, seek to speak words into people's life that nourish them and don't drain them or don't pull them down or don't destroy them. We want to nourish people with our words, lift people up with our words, encourage people with our words. You know, at the volleyball the other day, mate, they were going crazy for any team. There was hardly anyone that was from those nations, but they were just encouraging them. They didn't know them from a bar of soap, but they wanted to lift them up. So we're to do that for those that we love, for those that are brothers and sisters around us who we love dearly. We want to nourish each other, don't we? Speaking to each other lives, words of life not words that destroy and rip and tear. Uh, who's seen the movie Evan Almighty? The old Evan Almighty, great movie, a bit of fun. Uh, and it's about Evan who ends up uh, building an, an ark. <laughs> he becomes Noah in the, in the present time. He builds an ark and he saves the people in his town and God's speaking to him and there's a whole lot of interplay all the way through. And right at the end, at the very last thing, uh, God's there, he's speaking to Evan after he saved everyone and everything's wonderful and uh, they're talking to one another and Evan asks, what was this all about? How does this all work? And the guy who's playing God at that point in time uh, draws A-R-K on the ground and he says, it's all about ark. He says, how do we change the world? And it's Evan's question. And he answers, one single act of random kindness at a time. A-R-K. Now, I'm pretty sure that wasn't in God's picture at the time. <laughs> I think they've just taken that and run with it. But it's cute, isn't it? But can I say to you, it's only cute. There's two things wrong with that. All right? Two things wrong with it. One random act of kindness does not and will not save the world. Jesus does. He's the only one who can save the world, guys. Because random act of kindness do not deal with our constant acts of sin. You've got to remember that. Love it, you put it on your wall hanging. Some of you might have it on your wall hanging. Sorry if I've just destroyed everything for you. It's a nice little wall hanging, isn't it? acts of random kindness, but it, they don't deal with their constant acts of sin. So only Jesus does. So it doesn't save the world. Uh, it ultimately won't change the world either. And secondly, the problem with it is because there are only one random ones at different times, whereas Jesus calls us to be living a complete life of kindness, a cack life of continuous acts of kindness. We're not to live an ark life, we're to work, live a cack life, guys. That is us. Continuous acts of kindness. Speaking, showing, living, taking it out there. That's to be us. As loving people in God's loving family, we are to be living out, cultivating our patience and pursuing acts of kindness in every way, shape and form. Here's a little clip just to bring that home a little bit. Yeah, yeah, go ahead, look for your car, walk at a, like an angle across the street. Just stay in the way of the cars for as long as you possibly can. There's no reason we wouldn't want this lot all congested or anything, people to be able, okay, no, no, I'll stop while you look for your keys, it's cool. 
Okay, stand in front of the car. Just stand in front of the car. She said, just tell me when you can be there. She didn't say, tell everyone when you can be there. I just need to get, oh, I hate this. Oh, I love Jesus, though. Okay, like that one, like that one, like that one. How do you not know what you wanted? You waited behind three other cars. Just stop hitting reply all. Just answer the one person. Why reply? Oh, it's Bill. He's gonna wanna talk to me about his fantasy football team. I don't care. Oh. Hey, who microwaves salmon in an office full of people? Honestly. I didn't watch the game. I told you I don't watch the game. I don't care who you got. Just respond to the person you need to respond to, not everyone in the office. I don't care how you're ranked. I'm just gonna pull in. Close the door. Let's just close the door. Close the door. Oh, oh, they're ordering like 20 drinks for the office. Go inside, go inside. Pretend you don't see him, pretend you don't see him. Oh, I hate this. I hate this. Oh, good, he's giving up. I hate that guy. But I love Jesus. Hey, hey, hey. Yeah? I need those express reports by Friday. No problem. I hate that guy. Uh, let's pray we're not that guy. Uh, but we need to be careful, don't we? Because we can be that guy. And we can do it in really subtle ways. In the way that we lose our patience and lash out. In the way that we speak unkind words and destroy and pull people apart. We need to get real with this, guys. We need to seek help where we need help with this. If you need help with this, uh, speak to someone who can give you encouragement. That Speak to me, I'll pray for you within that. Go and seek a counsellor and get help with this. Because this is serious, because this destroys people's lives and destroys relationships and destroys church families and destroys families in general. And we don't want to be that guy. Because we don't have to be that guy. Because God has transformed us. If we trust and believe in Jesus, he has given us his spirit within us so that we don't have to be that guy, that we don't have to be the person that sucks and draws and stabs in the back and destroys. We can be the people who live to nourish other people's lives, who are patient and kind, who speak that into the world, who take the words of life into the world. We can be those people that leave from here, who love people like brothers and sisters in Christ, who go out and seek that and bring that into the community around us and speak life and bring life to this world. Because that's what God wants, ultimately. Because it comes from Him. And it brings glory to Him. So ask for forgiveness if you need it. I've had to ask for forgiveness for this through this week. Encourage you to ask for forgiveness in this as well. Seek God in it. Get down to Him. Get down to business with Him and ask Him to change you. And see the transformation as he turns us into people who are patient with those around us, who speak kindness to those around us, who are living lives of continual acts of kindness to all those around us. As that lives out and that goes out and that brings glory to the God who is ultimately the most loving, the most patient and the most kind and who shows that 
to us in Jesus. Well, that's part one. Part two is next week, so don't miss it. Come back as we see how Paul wants to bring that out, that faith, hope and love, how that becomes real in our lives, real amongst us and real as we live it out in the world around us. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we uh, thank you for your word. We thank you that in it we hear you speaking to us and in it you take it and by your spirit, Lord, you can take it and apply it into our lives and, Lord, you can change us. You can transform us. Lord, you can teach old dogs new tricks. You can change us completely. Lord, we don't have to blame this is who we are or this is what we've done or this is how we've always reacted. Lord, we can't use those excuses anymore. Lord, change us, transform us, Lord. Mould us into people who live lives that show loving, gracious, patience and kindness to those around us. Because that is who Jesus was, that is who Jesus is and that is who lives inside of us by your spirit, Lord. Lord, we can't do it by ourselves. We just get on our knees before you, Lord. And we ask for you to change us, Lord. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.